It's a beautiful Lord's Day in San Francisco, and a joy to meet together, though we are apart. Looking forward to being together in two more Sundays, but it's a joy just to get together to praise, to thank, to worship, to honor the God of heaven who has been so gracious and so good and so kind. What a blessing it is to walk with the Lord. These are days when we are still reminded that God is seeking to speak to his people, to gain a hearing, to gain, shall we say, entrance into the hearts of men who do not know him. But to his people, this word, if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. May God grant the kind of healing that comes from heaven above. We have a lot of vaccine around these days, but the one behind all healing is God Almighty himself. May his blessing attend our way as we seek him in this hour. I'm trusting, I'm praying that this will be a time of great blessing and encouragement and refreshing as we meet together. Pastor. Isaiah 55. Great revival passage. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear, and come unto me, hear, and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader and a commander to the people. Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not, and nations that knew not thee shall run unto thee because of the Lord thy God, and for the Holy One of Israel, for he hath glorified thee. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. For ye shall go out with joy, and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree, and it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. May God bless the reading of his word. God's word is a gold mine 
a diamond mine, a silver mine. It's a mine that's filled with all kinds of amazing, amazing treasures. If you want to make your life rich, just take time every day in God's wonderful word. It will illumine your heart. It will give you the answers you need. It will give you the encouragement you need. It will give you the correction that you need. It will give you everything that you need, the healing for heart and mind and emotions that you need. One of the joys I've had in the last week is I have read through the book of Isaiah. And in the book of Isaiah, there is are some marvelous texts of Scripture. I'm, I've chosen a text out of Isaiah 61. And if you have the notes there, and I hope that you do, I hope you'll follow along. At the bottom of the first page of the notes is the text that we're going to use today, and then we'll go back to the top of the page and begin there. Wonderful text. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, we might say instead of mourning, the garment of praise, instead of the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. And then the end of the chapter, verse number 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with a robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. For as the earth bringeth forth her bud, and as the garden causeth the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations." Now, this text primarily is applied to the Lord Jesus. It has other secondary applications, but primarily it applies to our Lord Jesus Christ. And as I read this text, I said, what an amazing, what an amazing ministry and calling Jesus Christ had. You take a look at the things that God called him to do, and you look at the needs of men. You look at the needs of men, the needs of those around us, in, in our neighbors, our friends, our relatives. You look at their personal needs, and then you look what Jesus came to do to touch their lives and dramatically change their lives and meet their needs. Now, I want to go somewhere with this. We're going to look at what God called him to do and the descriptions that we have in this text, but before we do, we need to understand and recognize that we have... An indescribable privilege to enter into the labors of our Lord Jesus Christ and to be doing what he was called by God the Father to do. We are to be a part of this kind of ministry. This should be a description of our lives as we relate to other people. How many people in your world have their act totally together? Nobody in my world does. 
I have fine Christian friends. I have Christians that are mature in their walk with God. They have, they have great, even these mature Christians have great needs. I, I, I have those who are young Christians, very new Christians, have enormous needs in their personal lives. I, I know those who are not saved at all, and their needs are dramatic. Life is terrible without God's help in it and without without the healing force of God's hand in your life. Where can you go spiritually, physically, and otherwise? So we want to look at our lives in relationship to the calling of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because that which he was called to do, we are called to do in the power of his Holy Spirit. And so we're going to look at Matthew 28, which is what we call the Great Commission. And I have in your notes, I have in, 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 in yellow shading, I have the, the uh, Greek text. And uh, it's, a little, it's a little more cumbersome to read, but it is more direct in what it says. Here Jesus says, has been given to me all authority in heaven and upon the earth. Now, that is an amazing statement. Satan does not have all authority. The United States government does not have all authority. Nobody, but nobody has all authority. Jesus Christ has been exalted above all principalities, all powers, rulers, and authorities, according to Ephesians chapter 1. Far above all authorities and powers. So all authority in heaven and in earth has been given to him. And when you get to the last statement, behold, I am with you. This is an interesting statement. Behold, I with you, I am. It's quite a dramatic statement. All the days, not some of the days, all the days until the consummation of the age till the completion of the age in which we are living. So when he makes that promise, he makes it as one who has authority. Now get this, he has authority over everything in my life. Everything in my world. He has authority over everything in your life. He has authority over everything in your world. Now now, now, now listen. I was listening to my, my, my grandchildren, and I won't say which one because I'll get in trouble, but I was li- listening to one of my great-grandchildren. And when they needed something, they started, they started, they started whining and complaining. And their mother said, what do you want? You know, if we would quit our griping and simply tell God what the need is. You live there? You live at that address? If we would simply quit griping, why? He has authority over every event in our life. He has authority over all the people in our life. He has authority over the disease that's called COVID. Hear me. It's a sin to live in terror of COVID. Did you hear what I said? It's a sin. Jesus Christ has authority over that thing too. He has authority over everything in our lives, in our world, okay? He is not telling us to go out into a hostile world that we can't control anything, and it's true we can't control anything in our world, but he controls it all. If we know him and we can trust him, 
He is sending us out to do something that He not only will enable us to do, but He will make sure that His purposes are accomplished regardless of what happens. This is an amazing commission. All authority, He said, over everything in your life and in your world, all authority has been given to me in heaven. There's no demonic power. Satan can't show up before the throne of God like he did with Job and do anything in your life without God's permission. Okay? The demons in hell, the angels in heaven, all of them are under his authority. He created them, by the way. He's their creator. He didn't show up as a, as a sideline, as a spectator. He's the one that was the creator, not the spectator. So, so all authority in heaven and upon earth has been given to me. Now, therefore, as you go, and the word un there is therefore, it, 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 since this is true, as you go, what, you, well, what I want you to do is I want you to mentor disciples. Usually we say, we Baptists say make disciples. I'm going to say mentor disciples because you don't make disciples, you mentor disciples. Okay? That's what that magazine article is about. Mentor disciples in all the ethnic groups, that's all the nations, all the ethnos, all the, all the ethnic groups, all the nations. You are to baptize these disciples into the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And then you are to instruct them. Now, this is very interesting. The, the, you'll notice there, I've got the highlighting off. It says, not gnosis. Gnosis is knowledge. He didn't say teaching them to know. He said teaching them to do. There's a big difference in knowing and doing. Teaching them to do, to be keeping, that is to be practicing, to be observing. Teaching them to practice, observe, to do everything, whatever it is that I have commanded you. And behold, I with you, I am all the days until the consummation, the completion of the age. A.T. Robertson says, This is the amazing and blessed promise. He is to be with the disciples when he is gone, with all the disciples, with all knowledge, with all power, with them all the days, all sorts of days, weakness, sorrow, joy, power, till the consummation of the age. That goal is in the future and unknown to the disciples. This blessed hope is not designed as a sedative to an inactive mind and complacent conscience, but an incentive to the fullest endeavor to press on to the furthest limits of the world, that all the nations may know Christ and the power of his risen life. Now let me stop there. That is the need of San Francisco today. That's the need of the pagan age in which we live. So Matthew's gospel closes in a blaze of glory. Christ is conqueror in prospect and in fact. Christian history from that eventful experience on the mountain in Galilee has been the fulfillment of that promise as far as we allow God's power to work in us for the winning of the world to Christ, the risen, all-powerful Redeemer who is with his people all the time. Jesus employs a prophetic present here, I am with you. He is with us all the days till he comes in glory. And in the notes I say in a sense what happens here is 
that if we if we live for our purpose, listen, I, it doesn't matter whether you're a carpenter or a teacher or a nurse or a mechanic or an architect or a grocer, it doesn't matter what you are in life. The main goal of life is to be a part of what Jesus Christ is doing. We enter into his works. Jesus talked with his disciples in that event of the Samaritan woman at the well, I sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored, you are entered into their labors. There's a sense in which we enter into the works of Christ. And that is the highest, listen, that is the most successful thing you can do. Everybody can enter into the works of Christ. It doesn't matter your IQ level. It doesn't matter your academic level. It doesn't matter your economic or social level. Entering into the works of Jesus Christ is the highest goal in life. It's the highest goal in life. That's why we are told to take God's people in our church and mentor disciples. Lead everyone into discipleship, being a part of the work and ministry of Jesus Christ. Entering into his labors, if you please. And if you want to measure success in your life, that would be the way you would measure success. Are you successful? Oh, oh, I get embarrassed when I ask that question. Now, this is to be done, of course, in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And I want to pause here because if you look at the text at the bottom, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. The whole thing begins with the enabling of the Holy Spirit of God. It's very interesting to me, and I've studied the word, and, and I don't think there's, a, there's one English word that really captures it. I heard a, a, a good Bible teacher on the, on the television the other day talking about this. You have the word for, for the Holy Spirit. Jesus calls him the parakletos, or paraklet. He's, he's alongside to be called. And, and so... King James translates this, he's a comforter. But in modern English, when we talk about a comforter, we talk about somebody that's in grief or sorrow. But he's more than someone that, that quiets our heart in grief and sorrow. Parakletos means you, you, you call, you call someone to help you in your need. So um, then uh, I think the New American Standard calls him the helper, the helper. And that, that is true. Uh, he would help you in sorrow by comforting you. He would help you in weakness by giving you strength. He would help you in time when you don't know what to do by imparting wisdom to you. He would be the helper of God. So in a sense, uh, he is the divine helper um, or assistant. We might call him an assistant. Um, Paul had traveling companions that with, went with him and, and, and assisted him in his ministry uh, we, we've been having a wonderful series on the amazing acts in the adult Bible study time. And, and the, the Holy Spirit was there. Uh, he was assisting them, but, but the Paul had assistance. Luke was one of them who traveled with him. But the Holy Spirit of God lives in us to assist us. He is there to help us. Uh, but I think another word that we'd have to add to describe the Holy Spirit of God, that word paraclete, would be an enabler, one who enables us. And I think that maybe captures more of that word than anything else. He not only helps us, he enables us. In other words, there are things we can't do in our own strength. Uh, 
Now, biblically and theologically speaking, Jesus Christ lives in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is there so that the works and the life of Jesus Christ can be worked out in our life. And so he is our personal assistant. He is our personal enabler, if you please. He is the one that enables us when we don't want to say the truth. He, he, he says, now look, tell the truth. I can't, I can't. Yet I'll help you. Say, I will enable you. I, I want to witness. I can't, I can't. I will enable you. He is the divine enabler. He is the one who enables us to do these things that we just cannot do. Our flesh will not allow us to do them, in fact. The flesh fights us in the things that we ought to do, the things we should do, the things that we, that we know are right for us to do. And we find them extremely difficult to do. Every believer has this experience. So the Spirit of God is the divine enabler. And here is the amazing thing. Are you awake? Are you awake? Who was Jesus Christ? He was God in flesh. Am I correct? He was God in flesh. And yet what happened at the beginning of his ministry? He was down at the Jordan River with John the Baptist. And what happened to him? The Holy Spirit of God, it didn't say, was a dove. He wasn't a dove. He wasn't in the form of a dove. He, he, he lighted on Jesus like a dove would come and light on something. So he didn't have wings, but the Spirit of God, like a dove, lighted upon him. Lo, a voice from heaven, this is my beloved Son. So how did Jesus begin his ministry? Well, he began his ministry with some kind of a special endowment of power the Spirit of God lighting upon him in a very special way to enable him to minister. And then we read that he went out into the desert to be tempted, but he went in the power and in the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God. Now hear me, believing child of God. We cannot follow Christ without the enabling of the Holy Spirit of God. That's where we've got to begin. That's where we've got to begin. We can't live the Christian life. We can't exhibit the Christian graces. We can't make the right decisions. We can't fight the sinful passions of the flesh. None of these things can be done without the assistance and the enabling of the Holy Spirit of God. So if we're going to mentor disciples, we've got to bring people into a wonderful personal relationship with the Holy Spirit of God, whereby we... we, we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and we are enabled and assisted and helped by the Holy Spirit of God. And so Jesus, just before he left, these are, these are the last words he spoke. Now this is how you are going to do all of this, because this was a bumbling group of guys. I mean, not a one of them was had, went, had, had gone to seminary. To, as far as I know, not a one of them, I, I don't think there was a scribe among them. Pastor Kelly's with me here. He's the scholar. Was, was, there, was, there, was there a scribe among the disciples? I don't think there was. There was none that was educated through, through the academic processes that I know of. They'd been to the synagogue. They weren't ignorant. They knew uh, quite a bit of the scriptures. But how were they going to take this commission, which, humanly speaking, was incredible? 
It was unimaginable that this group of men would do what Jesus had called them to do. And may I say that, that, that if, if you are honest with yourself, it's unimaginable to you that God could ever take your life and do a lot with it. But the, but the fact of the matter is he can. The fact of the matter is he can. And I read through that, that uh, through the magazine, through the articles in there, and one of the articles is how God calls men later in life into ministry and takes the skills they've learned in their professions of life and then they are able to pastor a church in their later years and fill a place of ministry and do things they never dreamed possible because they were not possible. They would never be possible apart from divine enabling. So Jesus says to them, before departing into heaven, you will receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall be my witnesses Ah, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the remotest parts of the earth. And there wasn't a man in that group that was listening to him that had the capacity to do that, not one. And there wasn't a man in that group that had the capacity to stand before the Sanhedrin and give a witness, to stand before Caesar and give a witness, to, do, to, to go to jail and sing praises to God, to do what these men did. Not a one of them had the capacity to do that. Don't opt out because you can't do it. They couldn't either. This is amazing. This is amazing. And Jesus Christ himself did not begin the first day of his ministry apart from this special anointing or endowment of the Holy Spirit of God. I don't understand how it all works. Now, I've read the scholars. Some people have got it all figured out. I don't. But I do know, I do know that Jesus Christ was there at the river. I do know the Spirit of God like a dove lighted upon him. And I do know from then on in the power of the Spirit of God he went out. Did he have the Holy Spirit before that? I think he did. I don't know. Let's not get into theological threads and, and, and needles here. But I do know that if Jesus Christ didn't do what he did without the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God, you and I can't either. You and I can't. We can't do anything. Listen, you can't. If you're a mechanic, you can't fix a car right without, without the help of God. You have God's help and you. You'll be, you're a much better mechanic for it, a much better teacher for, teacher for it. You're a much better doctor for it. Whatever you do in life, you're much better secretary for it. You're much better IT expert for it. Amen. Whatever you do, with God's help, you're much better in what you do. It takes it takes somebody with limited limited abilities, and it gives divine capacities to to, to minister in life. <laughs> Be filled with the Holy Spirit of God is the challenge. So Jesus, this 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 prophecy begins an uh, interesting thing. I did it for you just just for my own curiosity, and and maybe to solve to settle your own curiosity. Page number two, you will notice how I've taken that text and I've put it out into a poetic form because because in the original Hebrew text this was written in in the form of Hebrew poetry, so it would have been written out something like you see at at the top of the page there. That's how it would have been written. Now, let's let's move along quickly because we've got a little time and a lot to cover here. 
The Lord Jesus is the one who is referenced in this prophecy. He is the prime, primary fulfillment. Isaiah could have been secondary. Israel could have been a secondary. There are other applications, but Jesus is the primary reference here. We know that because of Luke 4. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. He opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. So we see in Isaiah 61 the Messiah and his mission. You have the anointing. You have the anointing. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me and the Lord will gladly hear me hear me hear me the Lord will gladly anoint you to do anything he wants you to do in fact he won't ask you to do anything he won't anoint you to do mm. <laughs> did you get that Amen. don't go to work this week without him Amen. what was what, there an advertisement don't leave home without it yes <laughs> what was that anybody remember express card American Express card, don't leave home without it. Well, listen, don't leave home without the fullness of the Holy Spirit in the morning. Just don't do it. Don't do it. Don't go to school without it. Don't, don't. Just listen. Listen. Let the Lord enable you to do what, what you can't do. It'll make life sweeter. And in fact, you will be amazed at what God will do in difficult circumstances as you go through the next week. Now notice the mission. There's an anointing. Then there's a there's a mission. And what what a, what more noble mission could anybody ever have? You have uh, he has sent me to proclaim good news. Hear me. The church is not about hellfire and damnation. The church is about good news. Amen. Mm -hmm. To bring good news to afflicted people, people who have been beat up Amen. and messed up. The church is the church is not is not a holiday spa for people to have their act together and have everything they need. The church is an ICU in the hospital. Good news for the afflicted, for those whose hearts have been broken, binding up the brokenhearted. Notice the dis the description of people who have a desperate need of God in their lives. Now, in our, in our society, they run to pleasure, they run to music, they run to all kinds of things to try to find these needs met, and, never, and they end up empty. They end, they, end up, they end up empty all the time. But we have afflicted people, broken-hearted people, to proclaim liberty to captives. And uh, here we have, Alexander tells us, the expression here comes out of the Old Testament, Leviticus, the proclamation of liberty has reference to the year of jubilee under the Mosaic law. It's called the year of liberty or liberation by Ezekiel um, to, to proclaim liberty. Now, what was liberty? Well, in the Old Testament, uh, some people had the capacity to make a lot of money. Other people did not. They didn't have welfare programs. Uh, they had servant programs, and if you ran out of money and you couldn't do anything, you became somebody's slave, or his worker, or his, 
uh, hired hand, if you please, and you worked under somebody else who provided for you, but you had to do what he wanted you to do so he would provide for you. That would make a wonderful welfare program in the USA. Uh, and But at the end of seven years, at the end of seven years, he had to give you the option of going free again and had to give you certain substance as you went. And uh, so you could start over again at the end of seven years. Uh, and But at the end of 49 years, all the credit card companies went broke. Now, they didn't have credit card companies in, Levit in Leviticus. You, you know that. But, but it, all debts were forgiven. And all the property reverted to their original owners, uh, apart from that within walled cities. And, and everybody began new. And so you were absolutely free. You had no debts. You had no obligations. You got to start out brand new, owing nobody anything. May I say that if you'll come to Christ, He'll set you free. He'll give you liberty. And He will cut your obligations to your old sinful life and the old habits. And more than that, because He's talking about bound prisoners here. The bondage that sin brings, drug habits, alcohol habits, cursing habits, anger habits, all kinds of things that, that, that bind that bind people. Liberty to captives. He will set you free. Freedom to prisoners. That's the release from guilt and bondage. The idea is you are chained and you're bound in chains. Bound in chains. You you have become prisoner to your habits. The thing that amazes me, and I watched this over the last, and I've been in ministry now for 60 years, but especially over the last 40 years, we have more groups that are meeting uh, to, to get past various kinds of addictions. We have more addictions. We, when, when I was early in ministry, there, you could name all the addictions on one hand. Now we've got 25 or 30 addictions. Pornography is one of the worst. Boy, you talk about being bound with chains. You get into you get into pornography, and you are chained. You are chained. Sin changes. Sin binds you, and only the power of the cross of Jesus Christ can break that bondage. But it can, and it will, if you will trust the Savior. So he talks about proclaiming freedom to prisoners. Alexander says the word freedom refers to the opening of the prison doors. It implies the release of prisoners. Then he talks about proclaiming a favorable year of the Lord. What is the favorable year of the Lord? Well, it's the year of God's divine favor. It's God's grace. It's when God just, listen, opened up the windows of heaven into the life of one who is just distressed and hopeless and lost. And he pours out his divine favor. And he, by his transforming power, gives a new heart and a new life in Jesus Christ and the indwelling Holy Spirit of God to enable us to move on out of the kind of life that we've been living. And Paul says that day of God's divine favor in the New Testament is now. I've heard you in a time accepted. I've listened to you on the day of salvation. I've helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. And Paul is referring to this favorable year of the Lord in 2 Corinthians 6.2. Today is the day when God will do that. 
today. Trust him now. Do it now. Don't delay. This is the day when it's available to you. God is speaking to your heart. The Holy Spirit of God is pleading with you. And it's time where you say, all right, now, God, look, you are right, and we will resolve the terms of my life on your terms. My sin is wicked and wrong. It's destroying me. Jesus, come, save me today. This is the day. What better time than today? You've, you've, I've heard an evangelist one time, he said, you've tried it your way for a long time. Now, why don't you let God do it his way? You've tried it your way, it doesn't work. You know it doesn't. This is the day of salvation. And then for those that were discouraged because they saw the wickedness like we see in America today, they saw the pagan wickedness all around them, and they didn't see God ever wiping it out. But he said, that time's going to come too. When Jesus came, he said, I saw Satan like lightning fall from heaven. And in Revelation 19, we have the coming of Jesus Christ at the end of the tribulation period of time. And in Micah and Isaiah, we have the day of God's vengeance uh, that are referenced there. Then we have to comfort all that mourn in Zion and to grant them an ornamental headdress in place of ashes strewn upon the head by the mourners. The oil of joy, the oil of joy, to anoint them with the oil of joy. And, and to put on them garments which excite admiration in place of a spirit of fainting, a cloak of renown and praise in which to enwrap themselves instead of a faint, almost extinguished spirit, and they will become oaks of righteousness, flourishing, planted by God, bearing fruits of righteousness, trees of strength and long duration, and out of all of this that God is glorified. So there's a personal response. How do you respond to all of this? This is, this is our calling. To take ruined lives. To take ruined lives. And, and instead of just heaping, uh, heaping disdain and disapproval on them, to lift them up. To proclaim to them that this is what God can do for them. This is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful mission. I tell you. What a joy it is that we are able to bring men out of darkness into light, out of bondage into freedom. We re the response is great rejoicing in the Lord. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exalt. That's a lifting up of the human spirit instead of being depressed and pressed down. There's an exaltation when we're a part of this mission. May I say, if you if you have no if you have no sense that you're a part of something like this, it's no wonder that you get depressed and discouraged, and you feel useless, and you feel like nothing's going on in your life if you're living from your, for yourself instead of for ministry. It's sad. There's an exaltation, a lifting up of the human spirit. Personal blessings, being clothed with the garments of salvation, the garments of divine rescue, being enwrapped in a robe of, robe of righteousness, justified in Jesus Christ. God made Christ to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus Christ became what he was not, so that we could become what we are not. 
He was not sin. He became sin and took our sin. We are not righteous. He gave us his righteousness. He took his righteousness and he put it on us like a robe. That's how we qualify for heaven. What a message and what an experience this is. Of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Wow. Universal benefits and blessings. And that last verse, as the earth brings forth its sprout, as the garden causes the things sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. This thing multiplies itself. Listen, when you've been saved and God's grace has come and filled your life and changed your life, wow. What a difference it makes. And then it spreads from you to someone else, to someone else, to someone else, to someone else. I want to ask you Christians, are you going to enter into his labors? Are you going to make that the goal and the context in which you live your whole life? It doesn't matter where God has called you to live your life. In what occupation, let's put that in quotes, in what occupation you're going to live your life. It doesn't matter where you are and what your role in life is. But the context of life is ministry. Entering into the labors of Jesus Christ with this powerful, powerful, positive, joyful, life-transforming ministry that is enabled, that is enabled by the filling of the Holy Spirit of God. And if you're not a believer today, cry out to Him here and now, he is a great God. He does not fail, and he will not fail. Heavenly Father, save precious men and women today. Bring them into your kingdom. I pray that men and women will repent and receive the Lord Jesus as their Savior right now. This is the time. This is the day. They've been waiting too long. God, I pray this will be the very day of salvation for them. Divine deliverance, an outpouring, immeasurable outpouring of divine favor, the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And for your people, I pray this will be a day of determination and dedication. For to me to live is Christ. Well, God, not just in name, but in mission, in mission. May the Spirit of the Lord be upon us. May we enter into the labors of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray it in his name. Amen.